and welcome to my channel. Today we're talking all about food intolerance testing. How do I know what foods I'm intolerant to? It's a question I get asked all the time. Especially nowadays since there's so many food intolerance tests out there on the market that you can buy and do at home. Are these really valid? Are they accurate? In this video, we're gonna talk all about food intolerance testing, actually five reasons why a lot of food intolerance tests go wrong. Then I'll give you two simple tests that you can do at home. So first things first, why are food intolerance tests not always super accurate? I oftentimes tell people not to waste their money on buying these tests, because a lot of them actually are not super validated, meaning if you test one time and get a result, the next time you test, you may not get the same result. And some of the methodologies that they're using are just not the full picture. Reason number one for not wasting your money on a lot of food intolerance tests out there would be most tests don't test both IgA and IgG antibodies. Now, those are two big scientific terms out there. But really what an IgA antibody response is, is it's the acute intolerance that you may have to a food. So within 24 to 48 hours of eating a food and having symptoms like skin breakouts or feeling bloated or a headache, that would be an IgA food sensitivity. An IgG response would be one that's a little bit longer. So it could be up to 7 to 14 days that you're not feeling super hot after eating a certain food. So maybe you go out to a restaurant and you are exposed to gluten for in the, the dish, just in the cooking oils and everything. You didn't order necessarily gluten because you don't typically feel super well eating that way. An IgG response would be still not feeling 100% like yourself for over the course of 7 to 14 days. So most tests are going to only look towards one of these, and a lot of them are looking at just IgA responses. So about 24 to 48 hours of acute response. A lot of tests as well miss out on the complete panel or antibodies of foods, uh, of food sensitivities. So if you run a gluten panel, for example, a lot of tests will just show like, okay, we tested you for gluten. However, did you know there are 20 different shades of gluten? that a lot of these tests are not getting the whole spectrum of. They're just isolating one type of gluten. A lot of tests also leave out gluten cross-contaminating foods that we know in general, a lot, there is a lot of gluten intolerance nowadays. Now I have a lot of thoughts about that as to like where that's coming from. Is it really gluten or is it more like the pesticides and the mycotoxins mold spores in gluten foods? Yes, there's a great potential. And yet, a lot of these tests also miss out on gluten cross-contaminating foods. So other foods that can mimic gluten to the body, that same response. So things like rice, tapioca, tapioca sorghum, um, even things like quinoa. A lot of ingredients that you may find actually in gluten-free foods aren't always tested on food sensitivity tests. So if you do a test and it shows you you are reactive to something, you cut it out and you still don't feel good, there's maybe a reason why. Reason number two to save your money on food intolerance tests would be a lot of tests only measure foods in the raw versus the cooked state. So do you eat raw chicken? Do you eat raw eggs? Do you eat a lot of raw broccoli? Probably not. 
And yet most companies out there are only going to isolate for the proteins that are in the raw state on their testing. Reason number three to save your money on most food intolerance tests is because most are not validated as mentioned earlier, meaning that the research is not replicable or the sample is not replicable. You may not get the same result if you were to run it now versus like two weeks from now or even run side-by-side samples. Some terms to look out for here would be the ALCAT, MRT, or the LRA, for example, of tests that may not be fully validated. There's not a lot of research around there. You want to test that uses ELISA methodology. And one of the companies that I do trust the most is Cyrex Labs, primarily because Dr. Vajdani was the inventor himself of food sensitivity testing and really does a thorough job in assessing for autoimmune reactions to foods versus just like, hey, this person's allergic to cherries or intolerant to cherries or broccoli or some of the foods that are not the most immune upregulating. He has over 120 peer-reviewed research studies on food sensitivity testing and continues to do research to this day. In short, if it's ALCAT, MRT, or LRA, don't fall for it. And look for studies of validation. Number four reason to save your money on food sensitivity testing is because most tests do not give you a full picture of your gut microbiome. Are you really intolerant to that chicken or to that oatmeal even? Or is it because you don't have enough of the gut bugs to digest this particular foods or the proteins found in those particular foods? Hmm. A lot of times food sensitivities are a reflection of just the inside. So whether we have gut dysbiosis, an imbalanced microbiome, or we have a leaky gut, which is quite common as well nowadays, The reason why a lot of food sensitivities exist is because the gut microbiome is just not in a healthy state. Instead of wasting a lot of our energy and time and money on testing for food sensitivities, I like to first start with laying a good solid foundation for the gut. After we've done that, say for 30 to 60 days, and a person is still wondering if they're intolerant to certain foods is when I may bring food sensitivity testing in. However, an elimination diet for a short term can really be a game changer for some to just highlight any foods that you're sensitive to. Something that people may argue is, well, if I take out a food and I put it back in and I'm reacting to it, is it because that I took it out and my body's just not used to digesting it? There's a great possibility there. However, a lot of times with foods we're not sensitive to, we're not going to react to them still. So if you take apples out for a time, you weren't reacting to apples before necessarily you're just trying to figure it out and you put it back in if your body's tolerates apples it'll be able to digest the apples really healing and sealing the gut is where the energy should be focused first and foremost to then be able to accurately tell if you're sensitive to foods number five reason to not waste your money on food intolerance testing is because most don't tell you the next steps so do you cut out this food forever does it mean like you haven't a reaction every time you're going to eat this in the future? Back to the gut microbiome. When we heal and seal the gut, our food tolerances may change greatly. So there was a time in my own healing journey, I was down to like five to 10 foods because I continued to eliminate food after food based on like lists I found on Dr. Google or things that other practitioners or like podcasts told me that I should check out. So it was like low histamine, low oxalate, autoimmune paleo, keto, the list went on there. 
And really, the purpose and the goal of food elimination should not be for a lifetime. It should be like, let's maybe take out some of the triggering foods, rebuild the gut again in order to see what we can tolerate. And today, my toleration has expanded greatly. And I do have an extensive history of autoimmunity and still within even the autoimmune paleo type of diet, I'm able to introduce foods like almonds and almond milk again, egg yolks, um, even nightshade vegetables like tomatoes or potatoes without any reaction because of how I've healed my gut. Okay, we've talked about five reasons why not to waste your money on food intolerance testing, especially early on in your journey before you've done some gut healing. Now I'm going to share with you two simple tests that you can do at home while you're trying to triage for yourself if you're sensitive to anything that you're eating. So number one would be the food swap challenge. Keep a food log for three days. In this log, just eat normally as you typically would and log not only what you eat, but how you feel after meals. You can also log your bowel movements, how much water you drink, your movement, and your sleep. So just a lifestyle and food log. Do that for three days. At the end of three days, look at this log and just notice for yourself, what are the top five foods that I eat on a regular basis in my diet? This probably is not going to be too challenging because most humans eat the same 14 foods every single day. And so just pick the top five that you see repeated the most in your diet. The next step here would be to simply swap those foods out for another three days. So say you're doing coffee every single day. Well, instead of coffee, maybe we're going to do some rooibos tea or a green tea, just something different for that morning cup of joe. And you're doing sweet potatoes every day. Maybe you swap those out for some kabocha squash or roasted carrots, something that may mimic that food, but it's not that overt food. Now, keep a log for another three days, same thing, logging what you ate and lifestyle factors. See if anything changes here. The last step to this would be introducing in those same foods that you ate before, one at a time, just kind of back in over the course of the next week. And again, noting how you feel. This may help you triage that there's something in your daily diet that is impacting how you feel. My mind was blown. I used to be a huge sweet potato fiend. I still love sweet potatoes, but I was eating them like two times, sometimes three times a day. And concurrently, I had a lot of bloating. However, sweet potatoes are very healthy foods and I never really correlated this with my sweet potatoes until I swapped them out for a time. Same thing happened with my crystal light addiction or the list could go on with just different foods that I was told at one time were healthy for me that at the season of where my gut was were not making me feel great. So food swap challenge. I'm excited to hear how your experiment goes. Number two food intolerance test you can do at home is called the COCA's pulse test. Super simple. So with this test, you're going to just pick out the food that you think may be triggering you the most. Um, I want you to take your resting heart rate for 60 seconds. The food can be right beside you, but just take it for 60 seconds, feet on the ground, record the number of beats per minute of your heart. Then you're going to take this food and you're going to just take a bite or two and salivate on it, hold it in your mouth for about... 30 seconds. Then take your pulse again. 60 seconds with that food in your mouth. See what your results are. If your beats per minute change by five beats, either up or down, it just suggests some histamine or allergic tension in the body. So this is just a really intuitive way of being able to 
quickly triage if there's something that is perhaps bothering how you feel. And those are it. Those are the two simple food and tonic tests you can start with, do at home. And don't forget how important your gut, the gateway to health is for not only your total health, but really your food tolerances as well. Food tolerances can be expanded and food intolerances can be overcome when we heal and fill the gut. Working with a functional medicine practitioner like myself or someone in my community can be really helpful for helping you customize and fine tune what is best for you. Well, that's it for today. Make sure you subscribe to my channel if you're liking the show and I'll see you next time.